Hey, it's me, Jesse. In this episode, Katie and I discuss the case of Jacob Blake, the man who was paralyzed after getting shot in the back by police in Kenosha, Wisconsin, setting off unrest and further violence there. During the episode, we mentioned the competing narratives about why Blake was where he was uh, at the time of the shooting, which were coming from different camps, you know, from his side versus the police. Just so everyone is on the same page in terms of the basic facts, it appears the version of events I mentioned in which Blake showed up to mediate a dispute is false. The New York Times reports that Blake had an arrest warrant for sexual assault, criminal trespass, and disorderly conduct, and that he was shot at the apartment of his alleged victim, who had called 911 to report his presence there. The New York Post adds that she had a restraining order against him. Both outlets relay the law enforcement claim that the officers on the scene were aware of all this, and the Post appears to have gotten hold of dispatch records which confirm this claim. In addition, contrary to what we say in the show, Blake did have a knife in his hand at one point. This wasn't just about the possibility of a weapon in his car. To be clear, Katie and I stand by what you'll hear us say in this episode about the need to find better ways to de-escalate these sorts of situations. We both believe what happened was senseless and unnecessary, regardless of the accusations against Blake. But we did want to be clear about the actual facts, at least as they're understood as of today, August 29th, 2020. I'll include in the show notes links to the Times piece, the Post piece, and a legal analysis about some of the challenges to prosecuting the police officer who shot Blake that may arise. In addition to all this, I note in the show that it was illegal for Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old who killed two protesters in the wake of Blake shooting, to be in possession of the AR-15 he was carrying around in Wisconsin. Rittenhouse was charged with this misdemeanor, and multiple outlets have argued that he did break the law, but for what it's worth, this may be based on a misunderstanding of the law, in which case it would be difficult to get a conviction on this particular charge. Uh, For what it's worth, this was the least serious of the multiple charges Rittenhouse is facing, but since I relayed this claim that it was illegal, I just wanted to note that there's some controversy here. Once again, I'll, I'll include everything you need in the show notes to sort of dig further into that question. Anyway, thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Jesse, how's it going? Good. I've been um, I've been doing a little bit of brainstorming. What's going on in that brain of yours? I mean, so we've been getting a lot of feedback. People want the show to have more characters on it. You know, just these hilarious situations and characters we come up with. We already have uh, we have Katie Herzo, right? Who is the yeah my intern? Your transphobic intern who people confuse you with all the time. That's one. Yeah. Um, what do you think about a a woke airline pilot? Okay. All right. I'm I'm following. What's going on? So it's the kind of thing where it's like, folks, we've reached our cruising altitude of 35,000 feet. Um, you know, if you look out to the left, you'll have a nice view of uh, hundreds of miles of land stolen from indigenous tribes. <laughs> or, uh, folks, folks, we've got a uh, medical emergency. We're going to have to um, do an emergency landing, unfortunately. You know, uh, the patient's unconscious, but but that's no excuse to misgender them. I like that. I like that. This is very funny stuff, right? This is sort of this, uh, it's like the Titanic thing, like women and children to the front, but really it would be like POC and trans women of color to the front. Exactly. Uh, I thought I had other (laughs) stupid woke airline pilot things. Wait, give me one minute. I'll cut this. That might have really been it. Wow. Mm-hmm. We're gonna have to work on this. Uh, maybe we have some fiction writers who would uh, who would like to to help us establish these characters for our podcast. Yeah, based on based on the incredible material I've given people today, I think there's a lot of fan art, maybe erotic fiction. Oh, erotic fanfic. Yes, it'd be sort of a Twilight situation. It could be some like mile high cotton ceiling stuff. <laughs>
Don't Google that. Nobody Google that. Don't Google that. Don't Google Katie, what is the name of the podcast whose intro I just flubbed horribly? This is Blocked and Reported, the only podcast. And I'm Katie Herzog. And I'm Jesse Single. And Katie, it is a very light and fun Newsweek, is it not? Oh my God, yes. Between the conventions and the race riots and the pandemic, it's just been a fucking joy. The summer of hell continues, and if anything, the hellishness is picking up pace as we approach autumn. So we're going to be talking about what's been going on in Kenosha, Wisconsin. I did not have Kenosha, Wisconsin on my summer news bingo card, and I'd imagine most people did not either. Not not really familiar with Kenosha, Wisconsin until a couple days ago. I'm not familiar with Wisconsin. I mean, so you got... Milwaukee, which I associate with beer and racism. You have Green Bay, which is football. Dairy, of course. They have cheese curds. How bad could a cheese curds place? Is there anything else off the top of your head that you even know about Wisconsin? I drove through Wisconsin um, maybe like 15 years ago, and a stray cat tried to uh, adopt me at my hotel room, like a, like a kitten, a little one. <laughs> so did you just sort of shoo this cat away, like get out of here? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it was a really, really cute little kitten. I was like, I got places to be, bitch. Let's go. Everybody get in the car, except for you. It's inaccurate to call a cat a bitch, you realize. Uh, that's true. It's uh, anthropomorphizing. Is that is that technically the term if you call a, a cat a dog's name? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I will say, I, in fairness and accuracy, which is very important to our podcast, I visited a old high school friend in Madison, Wisconsin a couple times. It actually seemed like a fun city. The stranger is, uh, is like a, a Midwestern has Midwestern origins. Everybody's from Madison. Um, like they all, like everybody who established the paper like 30 years ago, they all came from, they all moved from fucking like Madison to Seattle. Like Savage and Tim Keck, who's the founder and who also founded The Onion. I was going to say The Onion too. So there's this little... This, yeah, Tim Keck. Yeah. So the the publisher, the former publisher, The Stranger, founded The Onion when he was a, like a college dropout and then made the least savvy business move in history by selling it to his employees for $10,000 and moving to Seattle to start The Stranger. <laughs> Not great. I know. Poor guy. So, okay. This this present, we're recording this on Friday. If you're not a patron, you'll be listening to this on Monday. And this whole thing started with yet another police shooting, this time of Jacob Blake. This was in Kenosha. What appears to have happened was that Blake arrived to mediate a domestic dispute. The video we have suggests some sort of altercation between him and police. He is walking toward his car, trying to get into a car. His kids are in the back seat. There was a knife in the car that's been established, and police say he admitted to there being a knife in the car. The video is incredibly disturbing because a cop is just feet away from him, sort of like shooting him in the back as though he's executing him. And as with many police shootings, it is both true that it is slightly more complicated than like police just opening fire on someone unarmed for no reason in that, you know, he was reaching into his car i guess there was a knife there although i also i'm not sure police knew that but it's also not that much more complicated it's just as a lay person was your reaction to like mine where it's just you watch this and you're like how did this have to result in a dude being partially paralyzed how could that possibly be the way a situation like this resolves where it's one guy without a gun versus many cops it just it seems like there has to be a better less horrible way right it does. You know, I assume so that we don't have 
like audio from the event. I assume that they were probably ordering him to stop. Um, I do not think the appropriate response to somebody refusing to stop, even if it's a, a resisting arrest, is you know is execution, is extrajudicial ex- uh, execution. I mean, you know. It seems like there would be a pretty simple solution to this, and I'm sure this is not simple, and I'm sure our like more savvy listeners will think that I'm a complete idiot or more of an idiot than usual for saying this, but to me, it seems like, why do police have guns with bullets in them? You know, and obviously, like, the reason for that is because we live in a country with 300 million guns, you know, and there are police, like, feel a real threat to their livelihood or to their safety, at times. And so they shoot people and they kill them. But could you not, if you, if the goal is to arrest someone or detain someone, will will a rubber bullet, will a non-lethal bullet not take them down? Yeah, I guess it's hard. So in this case, um, the reporting I saw was that they had tried to tase him and it didn't work. And there's... I wonder if that's because he they missed or because... Like he was like immune from tasing, which I'm sure happens. Like if you're hopped up on meth or something, and I'm not saying that he, that he was on drugs. I don't think there's any indication of that. I, like I think from tasing the way it works, like you can shoot. You basically have one shot, right? I think so. Yeah, because you're shooting those little leads out, and either they hit or they don't. And well, I think with tasing and with other non-lethal, there's like this tough balancing act where are you going to actually incapacitate someone without killing them? And people have died from from tasers. So I, I think in a country as a wash. In guns as, as ours is, which is just a disastrous situation that we're going to get more into this episode, I, I'm not sure it's reasonable for cops not to be able to protect themselves with lethal, lethal force. I guess it's just like um, – I mean one difference between the US and the, the European Union is there are different standards about what's sort of considered reasonable force. And in the EU, it's apples to oranges because they don't have as many guns as we do, but but – it's really lethal force is really a last resort thing, not like reasonable fear of imminent harm. So in a case like this, it's just like, man, with that many cops there all armed, there's nothing else they could do. They couldn't just back off, draw their gun then and just be like, stop, stop, stop and put themselves at a little bit of a distance, set up a perimeter. And the thing is, there's like there's a certain type of sort of law enforcement expert who always will tell you you're naive and that there's some no there's reasons they can't do that and they might be right sometimes they're right they're definitely sometimes right like for instance i was alarmed um sometimes police will shoot someone then handcuff them after they're unconscious and i was alarmed by that i thought it looked horrible i wrote an article about it there's actually some reasonable reasons you would handcuff someone just to be safe just to make sure Wait, handcuff them and then shoot them they're no, no, like shoot them out <laughs> sorry someone who you've shot Oh, okay. Then okay. handcuffed, yeah. Okay. Um, but I, you know what? I'm not. I'm not sure. I sort of buy those answers anymore in situations like this, where just it gets ramped up like that from just no one being hurt to a dude being paralyzed for life, and it's it's just unclear there was any real risk to the officers. So I, all of which is to say that I just I share everyone's outrage viewing this video, and it's just such. I just think there's really something wrong with American policing. And I think you can think there's something wrong with American policing and that American police face real risks because there's so many guns on the street. So what was what's your impression of the the incident that led to the police being called? I saw less concrete reporting on this and 
but my understanding was he arrived to help settle a domestic dispute, but then I think he got into some sort of altercation with cops. That's my understanding. Okay, so I've read two different things here. I've read that he was like like trying to to break up a fight between two women, but I've also read that he uh that like he was he was involved in a domestic dispute like he showed up at someone's house like an ex's house or something like that um demanded her keys she called 911 and she reported it and like she's the reason that the police came in the first place and i don't know what's true i don't i like i honestly don't know which of the there is a 911 call um where someone says like he's here or whatever he's trying to take my keys. Yeah, so I, I'm actually looking at the KTLA five reporting. Yes, it's a local news station, and and under the heading "What the Police Say Occurred," Sunday's incident began when a woman called police saying, "quote Her boyfriend was present and was not supposed to be on the premises." End quote. According to investigators, in a police call, a dispatcher names Blake and says he quote isn't supposed to be there. End quote, and that he took the complainant's keys and refused to leave. Dispatcher later explains she doesn't have more details because the caller was, quote, uncooperative. And video shows a struggle between Blake and the police. Okay, yeah, so sorry. I I think I'd seen an earlier version where Blake was trying to settle the dispute. I guess there was some sort of rumor mongering here. Yeah, it does appear the police were called on him, but... Right, I mean, in the initial, like, the first wave of tweets, it made it seem like he was, like, the good guy breaking up a fight. And maybe he was. Like, that's kind of the point, is that it's hard to trust the news. It's hard to trust social media. Um, in this case, we have a 911 call, but that's not the entire story. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you, you can't trust police here. And, but I guess like to me, um, it would obviously be a more tragic, even more tragic and bizarre story if he'd just been sort of trying to break up the fight. But I just, I just can't get that video out of my head where just there has to be a better way. Yeah. I mean, this does not happen everywhere in the world, but of course, everywhere in the world doesn't have more guns than it has, you know, citizens. I mean, you know, I think that's one yeah. thing that's really been sort of forgotten about, sort of lost in this this like horrific spring and summer. I hear very few. You would think that like this would maybe be the time to have the conversation about guns um, because guns are so guns on the streets and guns with police are such an integral element of this problem. And I haven't heard anybody talking about it. It's, you know, we talk about gun control after a, a mass shooting. Um, but we're not talking about everyday gun violence, which is what we're seeing spiking and what in part leads to police having these sort of trigger happy reactions um, when they are, you know, called out for some sort of conflict. So to me, this is sort of an example of what can sometimes get obscured with some of the racial framings, because like the 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 cause of a. Obviously, racism is baked into all this. It, it is because racism is connected with poverty. Poverty is connected with the probability of these interactions with police. Every every situation is individual, but like the the causal mechanism is not like this force white supremacy. The causal mechanism is police procedures, police's perceptions of danger, the fact that police are not crazy to think everyone has a gun. Um, so, I guess one of the reasons I'm skeptical of this idea that like we need to unpack white supremacy it's like well you could also just like actually push for police to reform which in some cases has been successful and i think that that more difficult and less straightforward and morally charged part of the conversation sometimes gets drowned out a little bit right and so 
a lot of this, I think, is the fault of the media, um, because the media has given people the impression that police shootings are only a direct result of, of racism and white supremacy. We've talked about this on the podcast before. That's not true, which we know because we can see the number of white people who are killed every year by police. Right. So I, I have this up here. In the year 2020, people shot by police, 240 white 123 black. The the numbers are out of proportion. Like it, there are more black people proportionally. It's just it, when you control for things like poverty, it, it's not as straightforward. And there are a lot, you know, there's not a lot in the grand scheme of things in terms of, we've made this point before. This is not a common way for people to die, especially if they're unarmed. But right. There are, there are 330 million people in this country. There are millions of police interactions every year. About a thousand people are killed by the police every year. That is more than in, in Europe. That is a lot of people. Yeah. Probably less than like Mexico, I would assume, or Colombia. Actually, I don't know about Colombia's violent situation right now, but it, it's a lot for a, a, a developed nation, of course. And, and I think it's also worth saying here that that black communities and especially poor black communities are going to have more interactions with police than, you know, like upper class white communities. That's definitely true. Or upper class black communities. I mean, the, the. Or upper class or upper class black communities. Police, police, police differently in different areas. Yes. There's different levels of violence in different areas, different levels of crime in different areas, which economics is a huge a, a huge factor there. But the real difference here is the media coverage. So I'm just going to give you a, an example of something that happened recently in my area. So on August 4th, a man was shot by a sheriff's deputy in the town next door to me. Um, his name was David James Pruitt. And we don't know the entire story, but what we know so far um, from police investigation and a, the little bit of reporting on this that has been done by the local paper is that his name was David James Pruitt, and he was on a uh, like sitting on a like a like an overpass at night, and somebody called in like a welfare check. He wasn't armed, and shortly after the police arrived, he was alone. Shortly after the police arrived, he was dead. He was shot by police. So this has been covered in my local paper, uh, the Kitsap the the Kitsap Sun. The Seattle Times, which is the big paper right across the water, 15 miles away across the water, has done zero local stories on this. So they did like they had like one blurb, AP blurb after the shooting that didn't even mention the guy's name. And then they had one last week um, when it was when it was determined by investigators that he didn't have a gun. This has made very, very few headlines. I haven't heard about this on the local NPR station. They might have done something, but I haven't heard about it. And I listen to it all the fucking time. Um, so so Seattle Times. Two blurbs, no local reporters. Both of these came from the AP, right? When I searched the Seattle Times for Jacob Blake, who was shot thousands of miles away by a cop in Minnesota, you see, I don't actually even know how many stories. There are dozens of stories. There are stories from the AP. There are stories from local reporters. There are also stories because this has, this has, has, has become such a, a major story that, you know, uh, that like the sports coverage is about Jacob Blake because there have been these protests, these, uh, they're calling it a boycott. I don't think it's a boycott, but protest. These protests from, you know, NBA refusing to play their games. So like this has become a sports story. It's a crime story. Um, it's a story about the economics. So they're covering this, right? They are not covering the shooting in their own fucking backyard. Jesse, what do you think the difference is between David James Pruitt and Jacob Blake? Uh, 
I frankly, it's probably race. Exactly. One of those men was white and one of those men was black. So yeah. I'm not saying that the Seattle Times shouldn't be covering the Jacob Blake story. It is fucking horrific. I watched the video. He was shot in the back seven times in front of his children. But what I am saying is that the reason people think that there is this crazy, crazy disproportionate rate of police shootings of black people and that it is entirely motivated by white supremacy and racism is because the media is failing to do their fucking jobs. So our friend Zed Jelani posted something very simple on Twitter the other day that I think would actually make a huge difference. The media needs to start contextualizing this. So when the Seattle Times or any other media organization reports on these police shootings, they need to add the additional context. They need to put in the fucking numbers. So they need to say, in 2020, Jacob Blake was one was uh, was one of X number of, of black men shot by police in uh, this year. Um, David James Pruitt was one of X number of white men shot by police this year. And that will give people some additional perspective because I think like just over the last couple months, just talking with friends and family about this stuff, I'll ask them, how many black men do you think are killed by the police every year? And the numbers they give me are like, you know, like two or 3,000. They're just like, they're just spitballing. They don't know. And they're, they don't know because the number is usually more like, 15, like 12 or 15. Well, you, you mean unarmed. Unarmed, unarmed. Yeah. Yes. I, I think, look, this is one of these cases where it's like a slippery fish and it's hard to hold on to because a, a bunch of things are true at once. One is that there are disturbing racial disparities in that black people represent a disproportionate uh, percentage of the people killed by police. That's true. It's also true that the vast majority of police shootings at least involve a weapon of some sort. It is... Unarmed ones are rare. It's also true that in terms of if we're talking about relative risk factors and what people can be scared of and should be scared of, and this matters because there's been a spate of coverage suggesting that police are regularly gunning down people in the street. It is bad journalistically to tell people these shootings are are common in some raw sense. A thousand deaths a year in a country of 330 million is not a lot. It is horribly tragic and there's something uniquely tragic when sort of an agent of the state murders someone, which is what some of these shootings are. But like you're saying, there's just a lot of a lot of context missing. And I think that sometimes contributes to the, you know, just the idea that things are, are even more out of control than they are. And and yeah, and, I, you know, you, if you watch this video, of, again, of Jacob Blake, you can be completely outraged. You can also put it in context the same way we do with sort of terrorism or, or fluke events. But um yeah, I mean, so should we move on to this Kyle Rittenhouse kid, or do we have more to say about the Jacob Blake thing itself? We can move on. I just, I'm, I'm really disappointed that like my local reporters at the Seattle Times have not dug into this story because if we're talking about police violence, this is an example of police violence, and the race of the victim shouldn't matter. And also, like, if if he had been a black man shot by police, there would be riots in Seattle riots over this people don't care and i and i I don't want this i don't want to sound like woe is the white people i really don't like but i think that the media is really failing to do their job and is giving people a mistaken impression of how the world works and there are all of these downstream consequences that are just incredibly fucking horrific like for instance i think that donald trump is like getting up probably going to get a massive fucking boost because of these riots happening in kenosha in part because the media isn't honestly reporting on what is happening in the world. Yeah. 
Well, okay. We, I definitely want to argue with that, you about that. I guess to me, one of the important downstream consequences is I, I don't want white people who follow the news less closely than we are or who frankly are at sort of like lower educational levels to think that they have no stake in this, to think this is a quote-unquote black problem. Right. Right. It is not bulletproof armor, but the most likely thing to protect you against police violence is wealth. And there are horrible disparities in how wealth is distributed. There are also a lot of white people who are poor and who have themselves been the victims of police abuses. You know, if if you live in a country uh, county with a meth problem and there's a no knock raid, this is something Reason has covered well. Like there are a lot of white victims here too. And if you want to create some sort of coalition or conversation, the last thing you want to do is is tell people who are in fact affected by this or or vulnerable to it, this isn't this isn't your thing. It's a person for people of color. Instead of saying like, no, police violence violence is actually a problem across races. You're saying check your privilege. Right, right. Which is just like, um, yeah. So it's just strategically, tactically, morally that the reporting has been bad. So, okay. That brings us to what happened next in Kenosha after Jacob Blake's shooting. There were both. Speaking of bad reporting. Speaking of bad reporting, there were, there was a combination of peaceful protests and genuine rioting, including businesses being burned down, a, a used car lot getting torched. Of course, there is massive disagreement, depending on who you ask, about what the ratio of nonviolent to violent protest is. I, th- I am perfectly comfortable saying that I don't think the vast majority of the people who turned out in Kenosha were there to cause trouble. It does not take a lot of troublemakers. We saw that we see this in Portland too, where like you can have vast swaths of people and then the five Antifa assholes who decide to torch something that becomes sort of the story for understandable reasons. There was considerable destruction in Kenosha. Did they have – let me interrupt you real quick. Did they have – were there like daytime peaceful protests in Kenosha or was this all happening at night? Uh, My understanding is the destruction came entirely at night. I don't know exactly when the protest started. Um, We got to get rid of night, man. All this shit's happening at night. Night is is the key. We got to just like put some floodlights in. No more nighttime. Have a conversation with the sun. Some sort of orbital space mirrors to like reflect. Yeah. Yeah. Night against night. Um, okay, so there is this destruction, and Kyle Rittenhouse is a 17 year old, very into guns, very into his President Trump, very into law enforcement, watching this unfold 30 miles away in Illinois. He decides to drive or get a ride to Kenosha. He is going to be part of a group of vigilantes who have appointed themselves to defend businesses. I believe this, I could have the timeline a little off. This was Tuesday night. I think it was one night after the major rioting. Kyle is walking around with an AR-15. This is a weapon he cannot legally carry in Kenosha, in Wisconsin, because he's 17. I'll include a a link to the show notes of a good uh, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel article with some of the legal issues. It is a misdemeanor for him to be openly carrying this weapon. He's also baby-faced. I think you look at him, it's unclear he's even 17. Yeah, his... his his voice i i heard um i watched some some tape of him and his voice sounds like it has just cracked like just deepened his balls have just dropped yeah he 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 i mean i'm not trying to take away from what he did which we'll get to but he does come across as like this sort of he seems like a kid immature a little boy yeah um now Okay, so he is here's what we know. I will include links to the New York Times account, which which is just drawn from all this video. Props to the people on the ground who provided this video. Um 
what we know at different points in the night, he is assisting a protester with a, a first aid issue. He is receiving kudos alongside his compatriots from the cops who also give him bottled water and say, thank you. We appreciate what we're doing. So just we should I want to freeze frame that moment. You have deputized law enforcement thanking a fucking 17 year old with an AR-15. That is a war zone weapon for doing what cops are supposed to do. That right away tells you something is profoundly fucked up. And if you wanted like a foreboding moment, like something bad is going to go down, a cop saying to a 17 year old committing a misdemeanor just by having that weapon. Thank you. Thank you for it's really bad. The people are protesting the police. It is the police's job to go police the protesters. Just that, like, and of course, that's how the system works, right? But it's not like they're, like, protesting, like, Amazon and the police are there policing them. They're policing the protesters, policing themselves. Right. Yep. Right. So so when you have this other group that shows up, it, it's just like tribalism shit. It's red state blue shit, whatever. You have this other group that shows up and says, we're on your side. Of course, the police are going to appreciate and thank and give them water bottles, even if it's the fucking wrong thing to do. I just think like no matter the like, I mean, you know, police are probably poorly fucking trained in the first place anyway, but just like human nature, you know, you've got these people like throwing human shit at you on one side and you've got people saying they're going to protect you on the other. What do you think is going to happen? It's not right, but it's going to fucking happen. No, I agree. It's human nature. Although to be clear, like the, 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 the vigilantes were there to protect local businesses from looting. And right. I think not, they're sort of, yeah. yeah, but they're on the law and order side. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this this kid's sort of social media accounts, he was festooned with, with pro-law enforcement stuff. He was just this, this little weapons and law enforcement nerd. You know, again, which he has every right to be if he doesn't then go do what he did. Okay, so, um, right. Part of the night for Kyle Rittenhouse is uneventful. Police thanking him, he does help out a protester with a first aid issue. He seems so so the video and the video there, he just seems so fucking excited. The videos that he's being interviewed by someone and then someone like a protester with a like a wound shows up and he's just immediately like, I'm an EMT. Like he just wants to be in it, you know? It just seems like, oh God, he just seems like a child, like I don't I probably shouldn't call him a child because he's now a murderer. Um but I don't know. He's just like no. I mean, that's what's so weird about it. A seven. I mean, it's like school shootings are committed by children, and and yeah. I, I'm going to get more into this. But part of the problem with letting these situations deteriorate is you attract that sort of person. I thought you put it perfectly. The sort of person who wants to be in it. There's a certain type of person who wants to be involved in this sort of thing. And, on both and, sides. You know, he was one right of, on both sides. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, there were there were we should say. There were also some armed lefty protesters yeah. here. And Wisconsin is an open carry state. So this is what you get. You have a situation where everyone's just – anyway, I'm not – my Massachusetts blue state outrage is bubbling up. But um, Do you have – is Massachusetts not an open carry state? Massachusetts is – I don't know exactly what the gun laws are, but they're very strict. Uh, and they're also yeah. stricter in Illinois, which is the state he came from. Um, yeah. No, I, I grew up in a very gun-unfriendly place. And, I, you know, I I – people who want to use a rifle to go hunting there's elements of lefty gun discourse that are over the top but over overall i just think any situation in which you have just vigilantes circling each other with guns and the police nowhere to be found is going to end in bloodshed well i mean it doesn't always happen there are this this kind of shit happens all the time you know like 
It's happened in Seattle. It's happened in Portland. And people don't actually die all that often in these conflicts. I guess that's true. All these protests and uprising, there there hasn't been a lot of death. I mean, there was in the chop, two kids were murdered, and but there haven't. Right. And but we don't know that that was that, you know, that wasn't conflict between as far as we know, that was not conflict between like, oh, no, like, that was Yeah, no, know. not at all. Um, There's been almost no yeah. uh, deadly violence between left and right protesters, which I guess is a right silver lining. But okay, so they just like get together in Portland and like wearing their costumes and beat the shit out of each other and call each other names and like then go home to the suburbs or whatever. Which, by the way, I, I would bet at this point 80% of people who just live in Portland and who are normal are so sick of that shit. They just want to go to fucking brunch. That's all they want. They want to like go have their bottomless mimosa brunch. They don't want this shit. <laughs> um, okay, so Kyle Rittenhouse is at one point he's guarding a gas station where I guess the cops sort of gave tacit approval. At some point he gets pulled over to this, I believe, a parking lot. And what appears to have happened is that Rittenhouse... I'll be very clear in what I'm about to say about what we do and don't have from the Times and from video. Here's what not, is not on video, but what some people said happened, is that someone starts to commit vandalism against the cars. Rittenhouse verbally confronts him. This person starts chasing Kyle Rittenhouse. This is where the Times video picks up. It, it shows video of... Uh, one person like really chasing Rittenhouse. I think others chasing him too. As Rittenhouse is being chased, someone shoots a gun in the air. So from Rittenhouse's point of view, he has just heard a gunshot as he is being chased and he looks back in the direction of it. The next thing we see is like a dude closing in on Rittenhouse and uh, Rittenhouse shoots him in the head with his, with his uh, AR-15. That guy's just dead. Okay. Rittenhouse takes his phone out, says something, appears to say, I think I just killed someone, language to that effect. Again, just check the Times article. They have the specifics. He then flees that scene. He starts sort of jogging away with the rifle strapped around him. Some people start to give chase, understandably. It's unclear who saw what. All they know is that this kid just shot someone and they're trying to pursue him. Rittenhouse stumbles and his pursuers catch up to him. I think one person sort of kicks him in the head. One person hits him in the skateboard. Rittenhouse from the ground, turns around, shoots a couple people with his AR-15. One of them he shoots uh, just dead. The other is a guy who is, has a gun out. It's unclear if it's raised to him, but from Rittenhouse's point of view, this guy has a gun. And Rittenhouse shoots him in sort of the arm or the shoulder and he drops the gun. The one thing I left out is that the first time Rittenhouse is getting pursued before the first shooting, someone throws... Um, Accounts differ, whether it's a brick or Molotov cocktails, throw something at him. You can see that in the Times video. So from Rittenhouse's point of view, he's had something thrown at him and he heard a gunshot behind him. Okay, especially after it was revealed that he was this big Blue Lives Matter MAGA guy, um, the story has basically been here's this, this white vigilante who ended up killing two people, wounding a third I believe, white supremacist vigilante. Yes, some people have said white supremacist. There, there's no evidence for that. I believe one victim, one of the murder victims or killing victims was 26, one was 36, and then someone else was wounded. I think they were all white. I believe both the murder victims at least were white. Yeah. Is that yeah, correct? I think they were all white. Yes, as far as I know. So Rittenhouse uh, definitely committed some crimes. I mean, among others, he just wasn't supposed to have that weapon in Wisconsin. My problem here... God help me, given what the conversation is now, is that I've watched this video closely multiple times, and 
it seems pretty self-defensive to me. I, I don't know how else to interpret it, given that in both cases he was being chased by people. And, and in both cases, there were shots being fired by people chasing him or trying to drive him off. And it, this was going to be a disaster. A kid like this with an AR-15, uh, he should have been – a cop should have noticed this. Uh, that that was tragic, but um, I mean, we can get to the aftermath of these two shootings, which also has some controversy around it. But but do you what do you think of the actual sh- that moment, those moments themselves when he actually shot these people? I don't know that I have any profound thoughts with this, other than that the whole thing is tragic. I don't think that we will probably ever know exactly what happened on the ground because even though there's video, um, you know, video floating around and video that has been published, video doesn't always tell the whole story. Um, we don't know what, what caused him to start running in the first place. Um, the whole thing is just fucking horrible. Two people dead, one person injured, and this kid will, I don't know, you think he's going to spend the rest of his life in jail? He might not actually. Part of what I'm worried about is um, so the initial announcement of charges was was first degree murder, and I guess I think it seems like a strategic mistake. Yes, yeah, and I think in Wisconsin they also have a sort of a reckless first degree murder that isn't like quite premeditated, but but similar seriousness. Um, right, and so first the reason that this is possibly a first or a, a strategic mistake is because first degree murder requires forth, foresight, right? Uh, well, th- that's what I'm. I'm not sure about. I think in okay. Wisconsin there's a different flavor of it that doesn't. But I think here's my worry: is if if I watch this video and I'm like, I'm not sure exactly. Well, keep holding constant the fact that he shouldn't have had that rifle in the first place. He shouldn't have been there. He shouldn't have had that long gun in that place. In the moment, I'm not sure what he was supposed to do, given he was being chased, and we don't know what what. We think the first chase was sparked when he confronted the guy with the cars. We don't know for sure. And and if it wasn't for the fact that in the first case, someone fired a shot that he heard. And in the second case, literally one of the people chasing him had a gun out. Um, So I guess what concerns me is that this case is going to draw a lot of attention. It's already drawing a huge amount of right wing attention. The kid is being portrayed as a hero. I do not think he's a hero. I also think this is not straightforward i think well he's being he's being portrayed as a hero on the right on the left he's being portrayed as a as a white supremacist yeah yeah um i just think based on the conversations i've had with people in my own reaction it's hard for me to look at those videos and view it as as premeditated murder that's a different question of like why he was there in the first place why he was allowed to walk around why the situation got that out of hand um the last the last bit is after the second shootings he then sort of walks toward police and appears to have his hands up trying to surrender. There's been some cons- what I view as conspiracy theorizing because the cops then let him go and they don't even. So they drove past. They him. drove past him. They didn't even. They didn't even engage him. Yeah, they don't engage with him at all. It's like he's not there. Yeah, I, so it wasn't like they let him go. They just like straight up drove past him. I got to say, I don't find that unusual from the cop's point of view. There were about like, I think between eight and 12 gunshots during that span, not just his, but others. Right. People are yelling different things at him. And the times we do hear some people saying he did it, he did it. But imagine you're a cop in a vehicle, lights everywhere, different people yelling different things because also people are yelling uh, about injuries and a shooting. It makes sense to me their first priority is to get to the scene and make sure it's not ongoing. And I'm not sure one kid – 
in a place with a lot of people have guns, I'm not sure one person with a gun would stand out necessarily. Right. I mean, it seems like the job, the cop's job as a first responder is to go try to help the people who've been shot. Yeah. I mean, imagine they, they, they stop to see what's up with this one kid and someone bleeds out on the ground in the meantime. And there's also an ambulance in the scene. So that, I don't know, that part I just want to, I sort of want to knock it down. I'd like to see actual law enforcement people chime in. I saw a lot of a pining on the part of professional journalists that it was somehow weird. I just don't think in context it's weird. But um, when have professional journalists ever gotten something wrong, Jesse? There, there was a vice story on this that I could not believe because it completely left out the context of the shooting. It just sort of like picks up midway with him shooting this person in head in the head as though we didn't have video of him being chased. It it reminded me a little bit of some of the takes on Covington, except this is much more serious and higher stakes. Entirely predictable, but one of the interesting things to watch in the aftermath of this has just been how the story has gotten covered and distorted so differently between left-leaning media and right-leaning media. Yeah, yeah. It's like you're living in totally different universes, right? Right, yeah. Like you look like... The narrative on the left, domestic terrorists drives across state lines, um, you know, to violently confront peaceful protesters. The right narrative, uh, heroic young, young um, future policemen of America, <laughs> um, you know, is is beaten and and defends himself, um, you know, against against rioters. You know, what's the truth? It's probably somewhere in the middle, but you can't trust what you're getting on either side and you can't trust what you're getting on social media. You can only trust what you're getting on Blocked and Reported. Of course, that that's the main point to always take home. I, I mean, I will say, look, the Times showed they were capable of of good journalism on this. They they provided what I yeah. think was the single most useful compilation. But what, what worries me is like I'm and I saw some people on Twitter telling saying this to me. It's like people's sense that they can't necessarily trust what they get from outlets more than they can trust some random YouTuber on the ground, which is horrible for journalism. Yeah, totally. I guess like one one other thing I was thinking about is like just the way violence and destruction escalate. Like the the reason these people are dead is because Kyle Rittenhouse pulled the trigger. Kyle Rittenhouse pulled the trigger and went there because buildings were burned down. Buildings were burned down because Jacob Blake was paralyzed. And I think there's a lack of recognition, maybe especially from those of us – I don't want to do the identity card, but from those of us who haven't lived with a lot of violence or haven't lived in like a truly dangerous neighborhood, this shit gets out of hand very quickly. And in addition to the moral and political arguments against rioting and looting and the possibility of it it helping Trump, which we'll get to in a minute – Shit gets out of hand. Like very quickly, Kenosha became a place where armed vigilantes on both sides were just walking around and it it was impossible that something like this wasn't going to happen at some point because we've seen scenes like this around the country, particularly in Portland. And man, people just need to take the possibility of political violence really seriously because this is not a joke at all. I mean, you have you because two people are dead like they're they're dead and that that they're not coming back this is permanent and this is because of this cycle that happened yeah and this could spread to other cities i'm i think maybe more concerned about the electoral impacts of this than you are did you see the um 
the piece in the New York Times called How Chaos in Kenosha is Already Swaying Some Voters in Wisconsin? Yeah, I mean, the headline sort of gives it away, but they basically talk to um, sort of wobbly Trump voters or centrist voters who now felt themselves being pulled back toward Trump and law and order. Yeah, so I'm looking at the uh, 2016 electoral map, and um, Kenosha was Clinton country for sure. Um, it, 62% for Hillary Clinton, 31% Donald Trump. But it's surrounded by by red districts. Um, you know, so it's, you know, it's like many places of in America, probably a little bit more urban, um, and then surrounded by rural, rural red. Um, and, you know, as you know, like, if this had happened in Portland, I wouldn't be as concerned, honestly, because Oregon is always going to go blue. But this is Wisconsin. And Wisconsin is one of the states that Hillary Clinton lost in 2016. And uh, I'm concerned about this. I'm deeply concerned that people watching this on the news um, are going to going to maybe blame Kyle Rittenhouse, but they're primarily going to blame the, the protesters or the looters or the rioters or whatever you want to, to call it. Um, and there's going to be a fear response. And even if Donald Trump is the one in office right fucking now, I think that they will. And Joe Biden has has like unequivocally condemned this sort of violence that we're seeing. I think that the ill-informed, but maybe inevitable result is people going towards the, the, the quote unquote law and order candidate who is not actually a fucking law and order candidate. Kamala Harris is an actual prosecutor. Um, Donald Trump, I'm sure, has broken way more laws than Joe Biden has. Um, but I think that's just like, you know, we rely on these very flawed heuristics. And I think this could really benefit Trump. Um, so I've been feeling like cautiously optimistic about the election. And I'm now I'm feeling cautiously pessimistic about the election. So I'm resigning myself right now to to spending the next few months learning to live with the fact that I think he's going to fucking win again. Look, I'm, I'm definitely scared by that possibility. <clears throat> the reason I disagree with you is um, not because I think anything you're saying is unreasonable or, or historically unfounded. When you look at the numbers at if you look at, for example, 538's polling average, Biden's lead against Trump has been steady for months. And in the George Floyd sort of unrest protest era, it's barely budged. And then if you zoom in, so I think a, a good comp state to Wisconsin is Minnesota. It's right next door. Hillary, I don't think it actually is. Why not? Because Minnesota is a, is not a swing state. Um. So in Minnesota, guess what the um, – Guess how much Hillary won by in 2016? Uh, what is it? It is less than two point percentage points. Wow, that's very surprising. Yeah, I was surprised. It is. Uh, holy shit! Yeah, it's one. It's one and a half. Minnesota is like basically, uh, you know, it is a blue state. It's it's a purplish state, which I think Wisconsin is too. Like we expected Hillary to um, carry it, and somehow she didn't, despite all the incredible speeches she gave there, as we remember, because she diligently <laughs> visit, visited it so many times. Although that is kind of funny, given how unpopular she was to imagine. I mean, I think she should have campaigned there, but like, I do not think she gave rousing speeches that like swung people to her side. I do you think the speeches really swing people. Like, I've been watching the the RNC over the last couple of days and feeling like, oh god, like I I do think they actually did a much better job than the Democrats, even as like fucking unhinged as, as Trump's speech was last night, because the production. Value 
values were so much better. I mean, like the DNC looked like it was like set up by AV club. Like, yeah, yeah. Like an intern at a college AV club set up their Zoom chat and then like left the room. And the RNC was just, I mean, it's, he's a fucking reality TV star. You know, he was on the White House. He had fireworks. He had opera singers. I don't, but the thing is, like, I don't think that most people are sitting home watching the fucking conventions. Yeah, I, I, I'm skeptical it has that big an impact, to be honest. Although, like, in, in the, there's a documented sort of convention bump in the polling, but I think it often fades. But, um, yeah, and I don't think Biden got a bump this time. Um, and I don't know no, if Trump will either. Different. Yeah. The poll, the polls seem pretty. Um. Well, okay. So maybe look, maybe Minnesota is an imperfect analogy, but surely, if rioting and looting and unrest affects voters in a measurable way, you would expect it to show up there. And in Minnesota, what happened was two weeks after George Floyd was killed, there was a bump in a pro Biden direction, and then that eventually faded in a noticeable way. And now we're basically exactly back to where we were before George Floyd was murdered. And I just I, I I am a pessimist by nature. I'm neurotic. I want to get on board with your fearful response because it makes sense intuitively. But <laughs> if you don't see it in the polling, it it might not apply this time. And the other thing is, Joe Biden is not an easy guy to paint as Mr. Antifa. Sure, sure. No, he's not. I, he like he is not the woke candidate. He is he is Sleepy Joe, um, and I, I don't think that actually refers to his um, his his lack of woke um, of woke bona, bona fides bona fides. How do you say that word? Every podcast is at some point it has me saying how do you say this word? Um, but I don't think I think it. You know, Trump will spin it, and the media, like the left media, and will spin it one way. The right media will spin it the other way, and they're all full of shit. Um, but I think it's just a you know a blue a blue cap red cap thing. People just settle into these sort of stereotypes about what the left is and, and what the right is, and it makes me like, okay. This shit makes me mad. It makes me mad that people are rioting and looting. It makes me mad because they're burning down cities and they're hurting communities that don't deserve this. Um, that are, you know, especially after after COVID, after like during this pandemic, like these community the last thing that these communities need is to be fucking burned down by their own citizens. And I realize that people are pissed off. I get that, but there are just more constructive ways to to affect positive social and political change than burning down buildings. There just are. So it seems counterproductive, right? You go and burn down the fucking Safeway or whatever, the 7-Eleven, and that's going to make it more likely for Donald fucking Trump to, be, to get elected. But the thing is, I don't think these people are Democrats. I don't think that's their point. I mean, some of them are just out for a good time. But like Antifa members, actual Antifa members, don't give a fuck if, if Donald Trump wins and Joe Biden loses. They don't want that. They are not Democrats. They do not want Joe Biden and, and Kamala Harris. They want a, they want the system to be scrapped. So it if it you know, so so you. Can, I don't think there's any reasoning. I don't think there's any saying like you guys. You are making it more likely for Donald Trump to get reelected because they don't give a shit. Yeah, I, I think there's a little self like self imposed ignorance and condescension going on when like when pundits are like, you know, okay, the whole riots are the voice of the unheard thing, unseen. Um, you know, there's there's truth to that. There's situations in which there's such societal pressure and people are so mistreated they lash out. But like. You know, in Minnesota, there was this horrible situation where this guy killed himself. It was caught on camera. Rumors quickly spread that police had killed him, in part because there was a circle of police surrounding the body and they're trying to treat him. 
it's very clear he shot himself in the head. It's a horrible video. This led to, you know, I think a Target getting looted and a um, fancier store getting looted. I mean, you're not sort of treating people as actual adult humans with agency. If you say, like, they were so mad about this guy getting shot by police, which didn't happen, but they thought it did, that they that they looted Nordstrom's. It's just not really treating people as normal human beings. It's the same with the Antifa thing. It's like these guys are on record as just wanting chaos and destruction, the black block tactics. So, yeah, I guess the the conversation on looting and rioting has been so weird because the vast majority of Americans, I think, understand that's pointless. Jacob Blake's mom gave a statement about how it's pointless, various politicians of color – And yet there's something particularly among white liberals where you just can't say this thing that almost everyone knows, which is this is almost certainly counterproductive. Right, right. Would you – if we were a month from now and the numbers look the same, would you like let go of the fear – I haven't let go of the fear of backlash. I think it could still come. I'm just saying I haven't seen the empirical evidence for it. At some point, you would have to acknowledge like it doesn't appear to have shown up in the polls, right? You know, I trusted polls a lot more before 2016 and I want to be – the sort of person who is who is convinced by polls um, in general, I think that looking at the data is important. Um, I think you and I agree on that. But I feel much less uh, trust in in polling after the results of the you know the twenty sixteen election. Um, and you know, I'd be interested to find out during polling. I, I'm not sure if we've talked about this on the podcast or not. I've talked about it with other people. How is the polling being conducted? Like, are you doing phone calls with actual people or is it automated? Because I suspect that people are going to give different answers to human beings than they would a robot or a computer program. Because I think, frankly, I think people are embarrassed to say that they would vote for Donald Trump. I think they lie about it. Yeah. No, I think the most sophisticated pollers do factor that in. And um, yeah, I mean, look, end of the day, Nate Silver, who, you know, obviously took some some hits, but is still seen by many as like the most expert uh, poll interpreter, poll whisperer. He, his final projection or prediction was 69% for Hillary, 31% for Trump and, or 30% with like Gary Johnson or whatever in there. Uh, A 30% outcome happens 30% of the time. It is not particularly shocking. And as of now, that's about what it looks like. Biden has about a 70% chance of winning. So, I, I think some people just overestimate how surprising the result was in light of the polling. But um. I have never wanted to be wrong about something as much in my life. I dearly, dearly hope that you prove me incorrect. Uh, I will happily take my licks. Um, but I, right now, I'm just like the more I watch the news, and I've been I've been watching more conservative news and listening to conservative radio because I want to get out of my own fucking like you know blue echo chamber and. They make compelling arguments. I mean, not even like I don't even they're not even truthful arguments necessary, but this they just lean into the fear, you know. And if this were just happening in like Seattle and Portland and places like that, that's one thing. But now it's Kenosha, right? And now it's in your backyard. This could be the suburb coming for you. And I think that I think that resonates with people. Like I have all all of these friends who are who are like sort of borderline anarchists who would um who would you know say like they were like gonna vote they don't normally don't vote but they're gonna vote for Bernie and then now they're not gonna vote or whatever and it's kind of like all right well who fucking cares because you all live in Brooklyn it doesn't matter um you know who like your your state will go blue no matter what but it, it doesn't matter like what matters is like six districts in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan and where the fuck else ever and. That's my fear is that these that this fear mongering 
on the right is going to resonate within the only communities where it actually fucking matters. Yeah, look, again, um, not to repeat myself, but the alternative to uh, Trump and Pence isn't a wild-eyed socialist. I say that as someone who wanted the wild-eyed democratic socialist, but um, it's, it's Biden, the crime bill guy, and Kamala, the the person who like perp walked people. So yeah, I guess, I guess I think people, I hope people understand that, but um, we will see it's, there's, I think it's very unlikely that election day is not going to be entirely, completely horribly nerve wracking, but man, we might, it could be like a month after election day before we actually find out. I know. I know. I also, I also, I feel bad for the people, obviously, whose businesses are torched. I feel bad for the people living in those communities. Cause like there's fucking, armchair activists saying that rioting is good or not a big deal or we shouldn't focus on it but we all we all have in our heads the moral capacity to say burning down an empty building is not as bad as shooting someone in the back but they're both bad acts at different degrees and they have different second order effects we might not be able to anticipate including bringing in fucking vigilante assholes from out of state as things get out of hand so no one should want things to get out of hand that will not help anybody unless donald trump might help him actually We'll see. We'll see. Uh, anything else, Katie? Oh, God. It's like 9 a.m. and I already feel like I need a nap. I'm going to go get like a a big-ass sort of breakfast burrito for lunch in case anyone was wondering what I'm going to eat for lunch, which I know most listeners were. I'm going to – after we get off the podcast, I'm going to go ahead and put like 100 bucks on Donald Trump winning the election so that if he does win, I will actually gain something from this. And if he loses, I will be thrilled to lose my $100. Why don't we – well, okay. First of all, I would argue that's very bad karma. Second of all, if you're going to do it, why don't we just – Karma's not real. Why don't we just do a bet? Okay. Well, then I'd have to give you money. Well, so, I mean the, the thing is it's like if I win – if I put 100 bucks down on like some like Vegas odds, if I won, I would want some real money, right? Not a lot. I mean at this point, see what – go to like check the uh, predicted or whatever and what odds they give you. It's not big enough to be a huge – Would I would I rather lo- give money to you or would I rather give money to random people I've never heard of? Hmm. Definitely random people. Hmm. They're probably Yeah, that one's people. tough. We'll, we'll revisit this closer to the election. You should do a, a parlay bet with uh, Trump wins and Jesse – records at least six podcasts shirtless <laughs> don't you record now. all of them shirtless yeah <laughs> it does get pretty hot in here yeah. so no comment yeah. but uh <laughs> all right as uh as always please rate and review us on apple Podcasts. you can email us your only your compliments at blocked and reported podcast at gmail.com check out our subreddit join our patreon join our, join our patreon patreon.com slash blocked and reported we've got some real goodies there this week we've got um we did two patreon only episodes uh where our patrons our bosses generated topics for us to talk about um we are doing a live chat with our patrons today so now is the time people lots going on over there Today, meaning Friday, if you're at the $10 level. So uh, you'll be able to watch a video of that if you join. So yeah, thank you to our patrons. Thank you to our listeners. Tell a friend about it. Tell an enemy about it. I think that's it. Yeah. This has been Blocked and Reported. I'm Jesse Single. And remember, it's never a good idea under any circumstances to LARP as a police officer. And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember, the only acceptable reason to riot is when the Packers win the Super Bowl.